Conversations. Good day, everybody. Welcome to Med Conversations. Uh, given our last podcast was a record on length, uh, we didn't want to do that again. So we've aimed for a bit of a smaller topic based on something I saw in the country. It just kind of has like one key message that I want you guys to get out of it, and you might learn a few other things along the way. So the story begins with a 66-year-old lady who comes into the emergency department slurring, I think I've had a stroke. <laughs> <laughs> she also looks like Sean Connery. Um, on looking at her, you immediately notice that she's got a significant facial droop. You find out that she was having lunch with her friend uh, when her friend commented that one of her sides was drooping. One of her sides of her face. One of her sides of her face. So what do you do next? You're in a, you're in a hospital... You know, reasonably white. I was in the country, actually, but you could do this out in the country as well, in most country hospitals. What what am I thinking of? Uh, depending on how big the country hospital is, you'd want to call a code stroke. That's right. So that's when a bunch of people who know what they're doing when it comes to strokes and can make things happen fast come straight away. So you get the stroke registrar if there is one, um, and the most important thing is it facilitates quick imaging. So the CT scanner is made ready. That's right, yeah. So I called the code stroke, so I called myself, and we got the CT scanner ready. Uh, so on the way to the to the CT scanner, I got a bit more of a story. She said she was otherwise well, no other problems, no other neurological symptoms. She woke up feeling fine, um, and she uh, she's otherwise been well. So then I do a bit of a quick neurological exam, a quick and dirty one. So we, when it's a code stroke, we don't do the full neurotic neurology exam that we all know and love. We, we do a quick one. Do you know what that one's called? So you, what you're looking for is to get the NIH SS stroke score. Yeah, exactly. Or the NIS. Yeah. Um, so that just basically has a few, few points and each of them, depending on your findings, you can assign points to it and then you have a probability of there being a stroke and how, how bad the stroke is at the end of all that. So I did the NHSS. She scored nothing on anything but the facial droop. And so the other thing on the way to the, the CT scanner, just to as a tangent, I guess, for code strokes, for people that are going to be working in a hospital soon, if you're a junior doctor, what are the two things you need to, to get organised for someone when they're on the way to the CT scanner for a code stroke? Same as any CT with contrast. You need to know their renal function and make sure they don't have an allergy to contrast. Yeah, so if you find yourself in a code stroke as an internal resident, that's a really helpful thing that you can do while the strokeologists are talking to the patient. All right, so we bundled our patient onto the scanner. Uh, what, would, what would be the first scan we would have done, Beck? So you start off with just a plain CT brain. Yeah, so we're looking for a bleed chiefly. You want to know if she's had a hemorrhagic stroke. And then you can also find a few few signs of acute ischemic stroke. You can sometimes actually see the clot, or sometimes you can see signs of an older stroke, like a hypodensity. And the next scan? Uh, you'd want to do a CTA. Yeah, CT angiogram, that is. So that's the contrast part, and you, you might see a filling defect if, if there's an ischemic stroke. And I didn't have this uh, good fortune, but in some centres... Uh, you can do a CT perfusion, which looks at how fast the contrast perfuses through the brain, and parts of the brain that are knocked off with a clot are not going to. The contrast isn't going to perfuse very well there, and they come up as blue. All right, so I did those three scans, and they're all plumb normal. So does that mean I can and rule out a stroke in this lady? No, not yet, because you still haven't completely. Without a stroke. Yeah, that's right. Well, clinically, it's not completely clear. Yeah, exactly. I just wanted to ask that question to make the point that uh, we're probably getting to, to a point where it is going to be a purely imaging-based thing, but for the moment, 
it's still a clinical diagnosis and uh, you can still thrombolize someone on uh, on grounds of uh, of on clinical grounds if you think they're strong enough so that that was the situation I was in there was no imaging evidence of a stroke but uh like clinically this seemed like an acute onset facial injury what else could it be what else could it be well we talked about Bell's palsy what no, did we no we didn't Look, let's do it now let's talk about <laughs> Bell's palsy so Bell, Bell's palsy is a um it's a basically acute it's facial, a facial yeah yeah and it's when the the facial nerve isn't working properly Exactly. So rather than it being a central thing, an upper motor neuron thing, it's a lower motor neuron problem with the facial nerve. The acute nature of the story was a little bit off-putting, but uh, bells can occur over hours. It's not necessarily, you know, over days. So I went back and talked to the lady again now that she wasn't on a trolley being wheeled to the scanner um, and found out that actually she did feel a little bit funny in the face in the morning. She had this just kind of funny feeling there. Um, or even though the the uh, the friend did suddenly notice the facial droop. So this are, these are my two differentials at this point. Stroke and I thrombolize. And uh, Bell's palsy where I don't thrombolize and put someone, at, put someone at needless harm. So what's the best way of differentiating the two? So a stroke is an upper motor neuron lesion mm. and a Bell's palsy is lower motor neuron. So... Those two kinds of lesions have different patterns of facial droop. That's right, yeah. So the best thing to look at is the forehead. So you get the patient to raise their eyebrows and you have a look at the forehead wrinkling. If it's the same on both sides, so there's no facial droop that's affecting the forehead, Mm. then, listeners, what do you think it is? So that's upper motor neuron. Yeah, that's right. And if it's not forehead sparing, if, if the facial droop is inclusive of the forehead, so you're getting wrinkles on one side, but then on the droopy side, the forehead looks smooth, then that's probably a Bell's palsy, a lower motor neuron lesion. Yeah. And you see that in uh, no- notes in neurological exams where people have said UMN pattern uh, facial weakness or LMN pattern facial weakness, and that's what they're referring basically to whether it's forehead sparing or not. So I did this in this lady, I did it many times. And uh, it looked to me uh, like it was actually forehead sparing. She was weak on the bottom two-thirds of her face on on her left side, but um, she could actually raise her eyebrows um, pretty well. But I was just just really didn't want to thrombolize her for this. Um, So I kept doing it, and then eventually I noticed that her left um, eyebrow actually started to sag over time. So I guess that the lesson here is that... uh, it, at first, it may appear like an upper motor pattern, but there might be fatigable. It might be a partial lesion that um, that you can only see very subtly. So at this point, I, I was more suspicious of a Bell's palsy. Do you know of any other tests you could do um, to differentiate between a lower motor neuron and an upper motor neuron um, facial nerve? Yeah, so, so Bell's palsy is the facial nerve. And if we think about the functions of the facial nerve, it's not just the muscles of the face, but also taste to the anterior two-thirds of the tongue. Yeah, exactly. So now at this point, I was, I was pretty sure I wasn't going to thrombolize her, so I was, um, felt like I had a bit more time up my hand. I went to the cafeteria and got some soap. Time up your hand. Time up my hand. Yeah, <laughs> that's where I like to keep. I don't know where you keep it. So that's it. I went to the cafeteria, got some salt, and got some sugar. And What a hero, this guy. <laughs> And put it put it on uh, each half of her, her tongue of the anterior two thirds, and um, and then she pretty clearly said that on the left side, uh, it was actually 
less salty and less sweet than it was on the right side. So then we we uh, we saved her from being thrombolized. Dave has excellent. been holding his medal in the air ever since and <laughs> couldn't wait to write this podcast. All right, so let's go through. Um, Bell's palsy just quickly. So epidemiologically wise does not discriminate between race and gender. Uh, the risk is three times greater in pregnancy. So the pathophysiology we don't really know exactly but we think it's probably herpes simplex reactivation or potentially herpes zoster might be the second most common cause. Mm. So clinical feature, features are time course, time course, time course. So occurs over hours generally. But um, remember you can also wake up with it. Similar to a stroke. Exactly. So that's really tricky to differentiate between a wake-up stroke and a wake-up um, Bell's palsy. So unilateral facial paralysis is the cardinal feature, but the other features can be really helpful in differentiating the two. Um, so you think about what the other functions of the facial nerve do. So um, hyperacusis, so because of that nerve to stapedius, they get this like, really sensitive hearing. Um, they have decreased lacrimation and decreased tearing. So that's really relevant when you're thinking about how to manage this because you've got to put a patch on their eye to protect it. Mm. Um, and then finally, the loss of taste of the anterior two-thirds of the tongue, which often, I've seen this a few times before, that really clinches um, the difference between the upper motor neuron and the lower motor neuron lesion. Um, so examination-wise, you test, um, you know, get them to raise their eyebrows, scrunch their eyes, puff out the cheeks, show their teeth. And the other thing you can actually do is um, get them to cr- uh, to crinkle their neck, and that's uh, one of the other muscles that the facial nerve does. I don't understand how one crinkles their neck. The platysma. Look at it. Am up I on doing YouTube. it? No. Is that it? <laughs> it's a double chin. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So just to go through it again, because this is like the real. If you only remember one thing, so upper motor neuron and lower motor neuron patterns of um, facial weakness spec. So upper motor neuron is forehead sparing, lower motor neuron includes the forehead. Exactly. Um, and then you also look at the taste, um, the, and you can potentially look at lacrimation or hyperacusis as well. Just a little caveat, a brainstem lesion, if you knock out that um, seventh uh, nerve nucleus, can actually look the same as a Bell's palsy, but that would be exceedingly rare. I wonder if it's even ever happened to have mm. just that one point in the brainstem knocked off without anything else. Um, another another little thing to add on, um, not that important, but uh, sometimes you can do nerve conduction studies in these people, and you, the indication to do that is if they've got a complete paralysis, if they can't move their face at all, um, because you want to you want to prognosticate if if there's some nerve activity that you can't clinically detect, they they might still regrow. Right, just to run through differentials quickly, so stroke is obviously the main one in the acute setting. Mm. If they're old. Um, and have some risk factors, it's, it could very well be microvascular, so that's where the, the small vessels around the nerve have died and therefore killed off the, the nerve itself. And what um, would the time course be in something like that? Uh, I'm not sure, actually. That's a good question. I've seen it happen rapidly, like people have come in and said this just happened. Right. Um, which makes sense if it's an ischemic process. It could happen all of a sudden. Mm. I guess they could wake up with it. I wonder if they get... An- angina equivalent if it, if it droops for a couple of minutes every few days and then... Well, let's not speculate much on the recording. Maybe. Sorry, guys. Um, so, and then the other really important differential um, is Ramsey-Hunt syndrome. So what's that, Beck? So that presents as a triad of ipsilateral facial paralysis, ear pain and vesicles in the auditory canal and around the auricle. So this is a really key point. If someone comes in with a unilateral facial... Um, paralysis, 
um, you need to check uh, you need to check for vesicles around the ear and in the ear canals have a really good look in um, with a notoscope if you need to. Um, and that's because Ramsey-Hunt syndrome is different to Bell's palsy and has a different treatment and different natural history. Ramsey-Hunt is uh, due to zoster reactivation. It's like single, uh, shingles sorry, in the <laughs> geniculate ganglion. Um, and often it's not just the facial nerve palsy. It actually involves other nerves as well, commonly 5, 8, 9, and 10. And it's got a much worse prognosis, much worse natural history. And the difference here is because you actually need to treat this with antivirals, um, which, will, as we'll say again later, you don't treat Bell's palsy. Bell's palsy with antivirals, even though we think it's a viral etiology. So Ramsey-Hunt has the the vesicles, affects other cranial nerves, and you treat it with antivirals. Very important to know that. Things that are less important now, uh, unless you are actually a neurologist and people are sending you their tough facial drips, Lyme disease can cause it. doesn't exist in Australia. Um, uh, Guillain-Barre, a rare variant of that, could, could present as a facial drip. HIV, sarcoidosis, Sjogren syndrome, and uh, tumours. So tumours actually probably one worth emphasising. If someone has a facial drip that's progressive and doesn't get better over time, you should probably image um, that area to see if there's a tumour growing there. Mm. And the other thing you wanted to mention, Beck? A lot of the time, facial drip isn't a new thing. It's just what the patient looks like. So what, what I tend to do is obviously ask the patient and their families, and it's surprising how many people don't know but a lot of them, either a family member will, will carry a photo of them in their wallet or you ask to see their license and you have a look and you, you say that, you know, this smiling face of this patient seven years ago looks exactly the same. So it is worth really digging down on that. And I think the other thing we haven't really talked about very much here is don't just look at the face. You've got to look at the whole rest of the body and it's it's more likely that if it is something uh, more serious than Bell's palsy that other parts of the body will be affected. For example, if there's... Um, lower limb weakness or upper limb weakness, anything like that. Yeah, exactly. Okay, all right, treatment-wise. so For Bell's palsy. For, for this, going back to Bell's palsy now, so gone through the differentials, now the treatment quickly. Um, so prednisolone is the cornerstone of treatment. If you start the prednisolone within 72 hours, uh, it actually does have a... Um, increase the both both the speed and the rate of full recovery, which is obviously the aim of the game here is people don't want disfiguring... Um, you know, facial droops, and uh, you don't use antiviral therapy. So that's just for Ramsey-Hunt. For Bell's palsy, we don't use antiviral therapy. Mm-hmm. The other thing not to forget um, is non-medical treatment. So as we said, has decreased lacrimation. So they need a patch and they need artificial tears. Otherwise, they might damage their cornea. Okay, so that's it. Nice and short one. That might be a record. Um, just, just the take-home message I wanted to emphasize here is the the difference between an upper motor neuron and a lower motor neuron um, facial droop. So upper motor neuron is forehead sparing and you'll also get this um, altered taste in a lower motor neuron lesion. Okay. Very good. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye.